And the least questionable thing coming out of your mouth these last five minutes was the Holocaust denial denier <laughs> thing. <laughs> It's Friday, April the 1st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Holocaust Denial Denier, and with me today <laughs> is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Rare Egg Collector. Before I'm going to ask you what that Holocaust <laughs> thing is all about, uh, I wanted to let you know that, uh, or, or actually I wanted to ask you, do you know uh, which anniversary it is today? Um, on April the 1st? Uh, no, yeah. I have no idea. The the notorious Funksy Elders debate. Oh, is it? It's the one-year anniversary, yeah. It was ah. uh, uh, also known as the uh, April 1st uh, debate. Yeah. Uh, following the... Um, yeah, following the elections of, uh, of March 2020, uh, mm-hmm. the formation, yeah, came into a... How do you say that? Clusterfuck. Uh, yeah, I think that's so. I think that's the right term. <laughs> After Kasia Alongren <laughs> accidentally leaked a uh, yeah a sentence someone in the formation process had said, suggesting that um, MP Peter Omzicht should uh, find a function somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah, um, and that led to uh, yeah an, an enormous delay in the formation process. But one of the best. Uh, yeah, popcorn worthy debates ever, and that was the uh, that was the uh, April first debate. It's still it it's still uh, you can still find it somewhere online on yeah. the website of the Tweede Kamer. So I think I'm going to yeah do a little watch party l- uh, tonight. I think okay. to invite some people and watch <laughs> An the nine hour thing. Of a Tweede Kamer debate. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, yeah, I do remember that debate because of course uh, Mark Rutte then said, of course, he saw no reason to consider his position. He was going to carry on as prime minister even though his government had resigned th- three months earlier. And everyone yeah. thought that must be an April Fool. And then their faces <laughs> fell because it wasn't. He really did intend to do that. And now, he has, sure enough, he has become prime minister for a fourth term. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the books and to the, uh, to the documentaries uh, that will come out in, in the coming years. It's just, it is really mm. remarkable how, it, yeah, it's still a mystery how, how he turned up, turned, turned up in the, uh, in the Torrents again after yeah. all this political drama. Yeah, how he survived I think, that debate. I think it was it, yeah. it was definitely the debate where the political life of 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 Mark Rutte was was endangered the most at any point in his political career. Yes, yeah, it was, it was hanging on a, on a yeah a very thin, very weak thread. Um, but yeah, opposition uh, or the the other politicians uh, gave him a way out um, how tiny it was and uh, yeah, yeah never do that if you want to get rid of Mark Rutte because he will uh, he will use it and uh, yeah he, he still is the prime it. minister yeah. yeah of course which politician do you remember was the one who really was held the key and kind of decided to give him the way out it, uh, Sigrid Kaag it was Sigrid Kaag yes who then yeah, of course yeah. later on ended up falling on her own sword because having said I would oh, yeah, have resigned right. in his position then, sure enough, got into a very similar position as uh, foreign affairs minister and had to resign. Yeah, and look where she is now in this so. cabinet again. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it was these were remarkable uh, remarkable months. It was a remarkable year to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, going back to the job titles, uh, yeah. <laughs> Gordon, uh, a Holocaust <laughs> denial denier. 
Tell us yeah. all about that, please. Well, this is a reference to uh, 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 the latest um, in the long-running saga of uh, Thierry Baudet trying to compare, uh, completely inappropriately compare to the, the coronavirus lockdown and the whole kind of campaign to protect people from a virus with the Holocaust and Jews being deported and made to wear yellow stars. And today, <laughs> Thursday, we had the development that um, uh, because uh, the, the, in, in Thierry Baudet's alternative universe, the Netherlands is a dictatorship that uh, puts people you know that takes people's freedoms away uh, the Dutch prosecution service said they were not going to prosecute him for this now I can only assume that Thierry Bordeaux is absolutely outraged because he was obviously banking on having a big kind of show trial a big kind of day in court with all the media present where he could say loudly and ludicrously why it was completely (laughs) completely accurate and fair to compare the coronavirus measures with the deportation and murder of millions of Jews but he's not going to have it now he's been cancelled by the public prosecution service they're not going to take him to court over this they're just going to quietly drop it and let him kind of stew in his own little yeah um, fantasy world so yeah a real blow for Thierry Baudet's campaign to try and portray the Netherlands as a dictatorship when it just allows him the freedom to walk about the streets ranting like a madman and, and yeah, in Parliament and, as well I should say and in Parliament as well but, but yeah. although it wasn't yeah. in Parliament um, today as we'll, as we'll hear shortly Indeed. Yeah. Uh, but before we get on to that, uh, Paul, tell me about your... You, you've been kind of paying lots of attention to kind of uh, rare birds and their eggs this week. Uh, well, uh, these birds aren't actually that rare, but um, mm. uh, there, there is a website called BeleefDeLente.nl, experiencedespring.nl, mm. and uh, there is it has a selection of webcams uh, pointed at uh, birds' nests, uh, and these include blackbirds and... Um, uh, a great tits, aren't those uh, yeah. the the yeah, yeah the 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 Wouter Kolmees of um, yes. Th- there's also a webcam pointed at um, a slecht falk, a peregrine falcon. Yeah, I think it is. I just it had is. to look it up. Uh, <laughs> what yeah, the name I, is I, I had to look it up as well. It wasn't just you. That's good to hear. Um, and um, it it has laid. Uh, uh, it is a couple, and they laid some eggs, and uh, they don't lay them at once. So they 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 had one egg uh, earlier this week, and a few days later they had a second egg, and now they have a third egg. And what I what I've also found remarkable is that that egg is is red. Yeah. It's not like a, a chicken egg, but it's it's well, it's actually a brownish red, and uh, yeah, pretty remarkable uh, to see. And this bird is um, these birds are. Are, uh, have their nest in one of the towers of the Rijksmuseum. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah I knew um, it's somewhere uh, famous. Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, if you live in Amsterdam, you can go out and you can uh, you can uh, you can check it out. Mm-hmm. And um, just to let you know, the peregrine falcon is the uh, uh, is the fastest animal in the world. It mm. uh, it travels faster than a Formula One car. Um, right. With 360 kilometers an hour, so pretty spectacular. Yeah. And also, and, and, and uh, it's more accurate than a Russian tank as well. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> it definitely is. If I if I uh, uh, if I see what what they what kind of what kind of animals they they bring in yeah. um, to their nest, it's uh, yeah they 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 have um, um, pigeons and they have rats and they have uh, also little rabbits. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, you can check it out and uh, you can watch all kind of birds. Also a bald eagle, by the way, right. uh, which I thought was only an American bird, but uh, yeah, there's also one in the Netherlands apparently. Yeah, they're actually huge bald eagles as well. Yeah, they're enormous, they really like are. the biggest like uh, bird of prey uh, in existence, pretty much. But yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, we, I will, uh, I will, uh, we will put a link to that website in the in the liner notes, so you can uh, you can check that out yourself. Yeah, 
Yeah, good. Okay, they're very small, the uh, peregrine falcon eggs as well, aren't they, or is that just a perspective? Yeah, I think they are pretty, pretty small indeed, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I haven't looked that up, but I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, okay. But coming back to what we uh, touched on just a moment ago, um, the, this week's op of the Week again features uh, our most fruitful source of op which is the Forum for Democratic <laughs> Party. So what's uh, happened this week, Paul? Yeah, Senator and chain-smoking dandy lawyer Theo Hidema once again left the Forum for Democracy party. This time not because of anti-Semitism in the party or denial of the pandemic, but because party leader Thierry Baudet refused to attend a speech by Ukrainian President Zelensky. We will hear more about his address to the Tweede Kamer later in the podcast. Uh, but in a statement on Wednesday, Hidema and another FVD senator, Paul Frentrop, said they feel the FVD's MPs should have been present for Zelensky's speech. Following the party's decision to be absent, they decided to split from Forum for Democracy and continue as an independent faction, but will continue to cooperate with their old party on the issues they've campaigned on, such as immigration and uh, what they call nonsensical climate change measures. Forum for Democracy official says to be neutral in the Russo-Ukrainian conflict, but is highly criticized for actually taking Vladimir Putin's side. The party was founded after the referendum on the association treaty between the European Union and Ukraine, uh, which uh, FAD was highly critical of, and recently leaked WhatsApp messages suggest that the party is partly funded by Russian money. The party has always openly admired the Russian president and often shares pro-Kremlin propaganda on social media. Uh, It wasn't also the first time Hidema quit FAD. The first time was in November 2020, following revelations of anti-Semitism among party members and its youth organization. He rejoined the party in December and left again a month later because of the party's corona-skeptic campaign, only to return as an MVD senator in April last year. Forum for Democracy emerged as the largest party in the provincial elections of 2019 and, by extension, in the Senate with 12 seats, uh, of which only one now remains. Mm. And all so the others they, have gone they, off to Yai you know, yeah, and Twintig or independence, right? They moved to, to other parties or they yeah. uh, became independent. Yeah, so uh, they, they went from the largest party in the Senate to literally the smallest. Did Hidemar say this time that he went, uh, is he going to come back again and make some kind of uh, terrible statement about going weak as wax when he, uh, when Rodet <laughs> comes and knocks on his door like he did the last time? Uh, he promised, tr- I, 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 yeah. just read an, I just read an interview with him with the Telegraph and uh, he promised that he will never go back to politics. Uh, his final job <laughs> opportunity uh, uh, has passed, so yeah, he will never return to the, mm. Tweede, uh, to the Tweede Kamer or to the Senate. He was, actually, he, was, he was on the list for the Senate, right? And when a couple yeah. of people quit, he accidentally became uh, the next in line to, to take the vacant seat. So oh, that was right, how yeah. he returned to the Senate, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, now he he's not on any any other list, so yeah, he will uh, he can never return to politics accidentally. So you wonder now if he's going to go and uh, start a B and B in Brabant or something, a, like <laughs> other like other ex, uh, <laughs> elderly ex politicians that we know of. <laughs> he still has his lawyer office, which he uh, which he's, he does. He's still, he's still a practicing lawyer. He's still a practicing so, yeah, lawyer. He, uh, yes. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So he still has lots uh, lots of things to do. He 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 uh, already. He, no, he remains a senator, of course, and he uh, was always uh, uh, absent during the Senate's debates. So now he will just uh, continue his uh, his line of work, but uh, independently rather than uh, for a faction. Yeah. He will be he 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 will be absent uh, for himself now and not for the FDA voters. Right, and not the FDA. Yeah. 
And uh, FIDA did, did put out a zinger of a statement yesterday saying that uh, they were going to continue to support the aims of FIDA even though they weren't members of the party anymore. It's a hidden mind friend top, right? And the last line was something like that they listed the things that FIDA stands for, and the last item was, I think, um, you know, we want to uh, do away with the dysfunctional political system. Which yeah, I just thought yeah. was hilarious. Given the FAD is by far and away the most dysfunctional <laughs> party in Dutch politics. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, a good not, one. Yeah, not a shred of self-awareness. It's lovely. This week, we'll tell you about President Zelensky's historic speech to nearly all of the Dutch Parliament. The town of Zwolle is rocked by a shooting in a packed McDonald's. A shortage of growers holds back plans for a legal marijuana supply chain. National airline KLM gets its wings clipped and has a new boss. And there's a heartwarming return to Amsterdam for a former Ajax favourite. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has urged the Netherlands to stop all trade with Russia and to support a boycott of Russian gas in a video addressed to the Dutch Parliament on Thursday morning. Zelensky pointed out that the Dutch purchase of Russian gas is contributing billions of euros to Putin's war effort. We need tough sanctions so that Russia has no chance of waging war further into Europe, he said. He also urged the Netherlands to provide more weapons for Ukraine in addition to those already sent. You are leaders in supporting us, but we need more weapons happens to drive out the occupier. As expected, Zelensky also referred to events in Dutch history, such as the destruction of Rotterdam city centre by the Luftwaffe in May 1940. He compared the bombardment to images of the devastated city of Mariupol in eastern Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky also mentioned the downing of flight MH17 over eastern Ukraine in 2014 by Russian-backed separatists, which killed 297 people, including 193 Dutch nationals. That deed cannot be forgiven, he said. Those who gave the order should be held to account. He also commented on the events of April 1st, 1572, a long way ago, uh, when, the <laughs> <Yeah>. Spanish, <laughs> when the Spanish were driven out of the town of Den Bril in uh, what was a turning point in the Eighty Years' War. Tomorrow you will remember driving out tyranny 450 years ago, he said. The tolerance and diversity in Europe which followed is now under attack. I think he's, he's one of the few people in Europe who remember that this was 450 <laughs> years ago and it was actually uh, a reason to celebrate this, say, uh, this victory. There, there's been nothing to commemorate it uh, here. No, it's, it's I don't the first think I've anyone realised this. Yeah, uh, yeah, President Ukraine uh, is the first is, person to mention this momentous anniversary. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah. in Den Bril or Brille, as it's now known, they, they yeah. always celebrate April 1st um, um, yeah, as a sort of local national holiday. Uh, to, 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 I mean, Leiden has the same thing, right? And yeah, with Leiden's Altmar yeah. and uh, Yeah, and uh, um, several cities in the Netherlands. Um, so I think they were aware that it was 450 years ago, but nobody else in the country, I think, no. uh, realized this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you can see that, uh, you know, obviously the internet's working in the presidential palace because Zelensky's spending a lot of time Googling the countries that he goes to <laughs> yeah. and then looking up facts, yeah, really. and, and noteworthy facts in their history before as he writes no. his speech. He, he would have been an excellent Russian spy in Salisbury. Uh, <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> uh, naming this list of random facts about the uh, cathedral there. Yeah. Yeah. Zelensky also turns his attention to Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who had been granted permission by MPs to attend the session. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was initially not allowed to, 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 uh, to attend the speech, right? right yeah. But uh, yeah, later that was uh, revoked and he, he, he was sort of put in the back of the chamber uh, along with, uh, with other uh, ministers. Um, Zelensky asked him to support Ukraine's wish to join the European Union. Our membership depends on 
you, Mark. He said, Rutte uh, has so far resisted efforts to speed up Ukraine's admittance to the EU, although he has stressed that the country is part of the European family. The Dutch parliament is the 14th uh, addressed by Zelensky in his virtual tour of global capitals. It was also the first time in the Dutch parliamentary history that the Tweede Kamer was addressed by a foreign head of state. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you kind of see he's been doing this tour, as you say, of sort of fifteen Europe, uh, well, world parliaments. And I think the, 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 earlier on in the day, he addressed the Australian Parliament, and he's gone around sort of Brussels and Europe. There's a great thread, someone Twitter of uh, a satirical website called Le Chou, saying that when he tried to address the Belgian Parliament, he sort of he he had to go, he went around all the different Belgian parliaments because there's like sort of he accidentally about seven dialed of them. in in all the other different uh, <laughs> parliaments. Yeah, parliament yeah. on the German, the, the German-speaking Belgian Parliament, which is like. Sort of, <laughs> Yeah, represents yeah. like two thousand people over in Open. Yeah, yeah, but he's obviously done. You can kind of see how he sort of uses his skills and as actor and as a, co- a comedian to kind of you know. So you almost see him like sort of connecting, you know, connecting with the room and sort of using those little sort of tidbits from history and the things he's found on Wikipedia to really sort of find, forge a connection. It's very kind of cleverly done, I think. Yeah, and also. Yeah, he 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 has his he he sits in this tiny office, right? He has his chair yeah. uh, basically um, uh, against a wall, and yeah, it it is a very intimate um, uh, atmosphere when he speaks. It's not as you know sometimes when world leaders give speeches, they usually do it in in a, in a big room in in like the 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 hall of mirrors, uh, for example, or you know where else. But he yeah. he he just chose the, a very tiny room, and that's uh, yeah, that works really well. It's um, it's almost as if he's there when he when he gives the speech when you're yeah, with, exactly, with yeah. him in the room yeah yeah and he's kind of dressed down with his t-shirt and like i say he doesn't have a great big flag in the background or any kind of trappings of any ornaments of state it's to, it's very pared down um yeah yeah and uh yeah so and, and and meanwhile the netherlands is also stepping up preparations to welcome ukrainian refugees of which I think a couple of thousand now have arrived in the country yeah, the, the government has invoked uh, national crisis legislation to force local authorities to organize accommodation for Ukrainian refugees by Friday, so that's by today. Uh, local mayors must also ensure that they register the newcomers and provide them with money to live on, education and health care. Uh, that's what uh, Junior Justice Minister Erik van den Burg said after Wednesday's cabinet meeting to discuss the war in Ukraine. In practice, nothing will change because the mayors are already doing a lot of vo- work voluntarily, he told broadcaster NOS. So far, Local councils have arranged beds for some 30,000 Ukrainians, of which around two-thirds are currently occupied, according to government figures. Thousands of private individuals have also come forward to offer beds. Uh, Government officials have now drawn up a list of guidelines for people who wish to offer space in their homes to Ukrainian families. The government earlier said it would waive the paperwork needed for Ukrainians to work in the Netherlands. It has also now agreed that Ukrainian nationals may only work in formal employment rather than as freelancers to offer them better protection against being exploited. And also 1.6 million euros is set aside to to pay for interpreters to help Ukrainians needing healthcare. Ukrainians do not have to formally request asylum in the Netherlands and so have a different legal status to refugees from other war zones such as Yemen or Syria. And uh, there's also been some news of um, the uh, Dutch authorities have uh, uh, taken quite severe action against uh, Russian spies in the embassy. 
Yeah, 17 Russian diplomats suspected of espionage have been expelled from the country following information from the AIVD and MIVD Security and Intelligence Services on Wednesday. The group are officially working as diplomats but are actually serving as intelligence officers operating from the Russian embassy in The Hague. Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra didn't want to comment on what the spying activities actually entailed but said the decisions but said the decision was taken in the interest of the Netherlands security given the changing geopolitical context um, yeah w- they, they could have done plenty of things right they could have spied mm. on the Dutch government or Dutch MPs but also there are plenty of other international organizations uh, based in the Netherlands uh, such as yeah um, all sorts of tribunals um, and yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> Um, um, uh, what's it called? The uh, organization um, yeah, for the prevention of chemical weapons, where of course they were uh, caught spying, you know, trying to spy on. Uh, I think three years ago, was it 2018? Exactly. 2019? Yeah. I think it was 2018. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there there has been some. Uh, fears that uh, uh, Russia would use um, uh, chemical and biological weapons in the conflict. So yeah, it, it, that might be a, a, a target uh, uh, worth for, um, spying on for, for Russia. But yeah, th- th- this is all speculation. We don't know what, what, what they exactly been doing. Yeah. Um, Hoekstra does expect that Russia will expel Dutch diplomats from Moscow in response. And the expulsion was coordinated with other countries, including the United States, Poland and Bulgaria. Uh, and the Belgian government announced on the same day that it is expelling 21 Russian diplomats. And yet they, especially in Brussels, they have the same thing, right? There are, yeah. <laughs> there are already so many parliaments in Brussels and uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. uh, they also have plenty of other international organizations. Yeah. I wonder if there's a so. Russian spy on ev- for every single one of Be- Brussels' different municipalities. That would yeah, explain that, why they expel that, so many. That would demand more manpower than, than invading uh, Ukraine, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. they won't... Uh, they didn't do that, yeah. And also, NATO is based in in uh, in Brussels, of course. Of course so, it yeah, is, yeah. That's, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, oh, we've, and, been uh, up, we've been upstaged by the Belgians again. I mean, first they yeah. get their vaccine program going faster than us. They, then they manage to get to, to manage to freeze far more of Russian assets than we can, and now they expel more diplomats. What's going on? Yeah, we, we really need to step uh, step up our game, yeah. yeah. Um, no, you're right. And uh, uh, following Zelensky's uh, address to Parliament, um, the Tweede Kamer also held a debate on uh, the Dutch response of the uh, uh, Russian invasion. And that debate had to be suspended because uh, MPs were... Uh, yeah, displeased with the way uh, uh, the, the Dutch government is, for example, freezing bank accounts or, yeah. or confiscating Russian accounts. assets. Yeah. Yeah. What did you say? Sorry. And yes, I said or, or not freezing bank accounts. Is or not freezing yeah. bank accounts. Yeah, yeah. In, indeed. Yeah. So um, that debate has been uh, postponed. Um, they just wanted uh, the government to step up. The, I mean, this is pretty serious, right? They, yeah. The debate started and then peace said in a majority, they said, no, uh, sorry, we can't debate this because you haven't actually done anything. Yeah. Um, so go home and uh, and do your job. Uh, Wopke Hoekstra, who is the uh, foreign affairs minister, um, uh, wasn't allowed to, to go to this ministry and do some actual work because he had to attend the second debate uh, in, mm-hmm. in the Tweede Kamer. So yeah, I don't know if they're still, uh, as we are recording, this debate started so yeah i don't know how how that is going right now um but yeah it's a pretty yeah it's, uh, it's pretty serious yeah obviously yeah. the mps are yeah are not not amused by the way that uh, yeah the, the, the uh yeah the russians have been able to use the you know the the, 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 the dutch the famously lax dutch uh, tax um uh, regime to, <coughs> to squirrel away their assets yeah and they stayed they also said um 
you know, uh, we have this crisis, the Ukraine is invaded, you Mm. need to take immediate action uh, if you want to, um, you know, have some serious uh, sanctions in place. Uh, And the war is now, what is it, almost 30, more than 30 days uh, um, uh, uh, ongoing, and we haven't done, yeah, basically anything. And that probably means that all the Russians who we wanted to affect uh, had plenty of time to um, divert their money to to other places. Um, this is not the time for. I mean, the the, the polar model is often uh, celebrated. You know, uh, uh, getting uh, t- uh, talking uh, uh, about an issue and finding common ground. But you know, in in as the coronavirus also has showed, um, crisis is not. Uh, yeah, a good time for yeah. a polar model. And no, it's, yeah, it's not I think a good time we... to be sitting around a table with cups of coffee and min- miniature biscuits when yeah. you know when there's an obviously an urgent need for action. Yeah, and having meetings about meetings or yes. meetings about planning meetings. So yeah, yeah it's uh, the, the, this is once again the polar model shot uh, shot uh, ourselves. We we shot ourselves in the foot with the polar model, I yeah. think, which is also <laughs> pro- would probably never happen because they would have endless meetings about which gun they would use and <laughs> exactly. which, which, they would which, actually... which foot they should shoot themselves in as well <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah. and, and they'd have, then they'd have to get the, the, the health insurers on board as well to decide whether it, could be, <laughs> it would actually be covered and that would take another six weeks a 32 year old man has been arrested after two brothers were shot dead in broad daylight in a McDonald's restaurant in Svola Around 100 people, including families with children, were sitting in the restaurant at around 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening, so kind of dinner time, when a man pulled out a gun and fired at the brothers who were sitting at the next table. One of the victims died instantly, and paramedics were unable to save the other. The mayor of Svola, Peter Snyders, later visited the restaurant and described the events as shocking. This was a case of extreme violence in an environment where it's not expected and doesn't belong, he said. The diners who witnessed the shooting are being offered counselling. So, what do we actually know about the victims? Uh, they've been named as Ali and Hussein Turunla, who are of Turkish-Kurdish origin and ran a number of grill rooms in Svola, as well as a nightclub. Now, Ali was 57 and Hussein, his older brother, was 62. According to the Telegraph, Ali was the intended target of what's been called a cold-blooded double assassination and Hussein was uh, caught in the crossfire. He was a member of the Turkish Alevist community, and RTV Ost reported he had connections with Hussein Babayasin, that's a gangster and drug dealer who's serving a life sentence in the Netherlands. Uh, uh, Ali's brother Hussein also owned a restaurant called Sahara and sponsored a local amateur football team, BQIC28. Um, and what is known about the man who has been arrested? Well, he's uh, 32 years old and he reported himself to police in Daventer later on Wednesday evening. Um, I mean, there was no, obviously, it being a McDonald's in the centre of Swallow, there was a lot of camera footage inside the restaurant and outside. Yeah. And so it's likely he would have been identified and picked up fairly soon. And also the witnesses said that uh, he hung around in the restaurant for about an hour beforehand. So he went in, he ordered some food, nothing seemed suspicious or untoward, sat down, ate his dinner, and then all of a sudden pulled out a gun and started shooting, but there was no hmm. sign anything was untoward right up to the moment he, op- he opened fire. Did he name a list of random uh, facts on the Salisbury Cathedral? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, another shocking, uh, shocking, uh, what seems to be uh, liquidation, as we uh, call it in, 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 in Dutch, yes. uh, of someone uh, in, 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 in the crime world. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. yeah, but, but, I mean, but it's Svola, one, it's, which is not a place you really associate with organized crime. Or I certainly hadn't up until <coughs> this week. 
depends if you think the Hansa uh, City League is, uh, is is a form of organized crime. Yeah. Um, now, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, it it shows that this serious crime, which we tend to see in the Randstad and specifically in Amsterdam, might be spreading over the rest of the country. And um, it also shows that, you know, it's one thing that criminals are uh, shooting at each other um, um, at one place, but doing it in, in such a public um, public place, such as a McDonald's restaurant uh, at dinner time. I mean, it's uh, mm. it's very worrying about, uh, it's very worrying uh, uh, to see this development. And yeah. uh, I just hope that it's, uh, it will not spread and will not be, yeah, almost um, a, a, a standard way of, uh, of, of uh, yeah, criminals uh, killing each other. Yeah, it is the increasing recklessness that's kind of one of the shocking things about it. I mean, you think about uh, Derek Viersum as well, who was just shot in the mo- early in the morning on his doorstep, you know, when anyone could have been walking past in the street at the time, you know, as you say, in the, back in the holiday days, d- days, which we should be careful not to over-romanticise, but, you know, criminals tend to take each other out, you know, down, down in sort of dark alleys at uh, late yeah. in the evening, not, not, not in the middle of a busy McDonald's. Government plans to experiment with regulated marijuana production have run into several problems and in any case will not start until 2023. That's what Justice Minister Dylan Yesilgus has told MPs. The aim of the project was to remove the grey area between illegal growing and licensed cannabis cafes or coffee shops as they are euphemistically called in the Netherlands. Coalition party Deza Sosesto was particularly keen on the plan which MPs thought would reduce the role of organized crime in the soft drug circuit. The experiment started five years ago and has been beset by problems, not least of which was the refusal of any of the big five cities to take part in the four-year trial. Uh, And in addition, not enough growers could be found. Um, Ten growers are needed, but only eight have been found, and they have run into problems with finding locations and opening bank accounts. Banks in particular are reluctant to support the growers because of their responsibilities in legislation to combat money laundering and the financing of terrorism. The second quarter of 2023 is now the earliest possible date for the trial to start. Local authorities which have signed up to participate are disappointed in the delays. Um, for example, Mayor, uh, Bre- for example, Breda Mayor Paul Depla, he said, we need to make progress. Given how much time we are going to lose, perhaps we should just move directly to le- legalization. If you look at the number of countries which do now have experience of legalized marijuana cultivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this might be worth to look at uh, the Dutch. Um, uh, I mean, in, if you ask uh, someone abroad, they, they immediately associate the Netherlands with, uh, you know, uh, having drugs legalized in the country. But this is not the case at all. Um, uh, Soft drugs are, the consummation of soft drugs is legalized. You can buy uh, small quantities in these coffee shops, but it is for them uh, illegal to actually uh, buy coffee shops in great yeah. quantities from producers. It's also illegal to produce marijuana, for example. And that's, yeah, uh, again, we talked about the, the Polder model when, when this system was introduced over tw- 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 two decades ago. This mm-hmm. was very uh, progressive and a very new concept. Uh, drugs were uh, illegal all over the world. Uh, and this was the sort of compromise we found to you know uh, um, uh, turn a blank eye on people who want to use it but on the other hand still criminalized the the, uh, earning a lot of money from it Mm -hmm. um the the we call it sort of the the kind of tolerance 
tolerant policy yeah um, but yeah it's um, uh, as we've seen plenty of countries around us and also in the United States for example we see that they have surpassed us in 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 their um, uh, marijuana policies uh, we also saw that a number of American states I think Washington and Colorado in particular earned a lot of money from uh, uh, cultivating marijuana mm. um, you know, as a state-run organization. Um, mm. Yeah, looking at that, we were kind of jealous because, you know, we, we want to make some money as well. So it, yeah. uh, we, we, we try to set up this um, this uh, a similar system, but yeah, it's for some reason, it's just not coming uh, coming no, up to ground. Yeah, again, yeah, it has kind of stalled. And like you say, we've, we've been like yeah, left, left a bit behind, really. We, we've been left with this kind of weird hybrid system where we've got this system of us of very tightly licensed coffee shops which is the small businesses that make small amounts of money from selling you know to make a modest income from selling car- uh, 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 yeah, from selling cannabis to passing trade but the actual big money is still totally in the hands of the criminals you know the actual yeah. wholesale and cultivation so it's actually you actually created a shop front for organized crime which is completely which is not really the intention and yet somehow they yeah, the, the the, the Dutch authorities haven't managed to find a way to dig themselves out of this hole. Yeah, and uh, th- this only applies to, to soft drugs, right? Uh, hard yeah. drugs are still, have always been um, illegal. And uh, yeah, a lot of people have the impression that that too is legal in the Netherlands, which isn't the case at all. It's a weird hybrid system, which we uh, we, we should have uh, got rid of uh, many years ago uh, already, I think. But uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully this, uh, this system will work uh, they Eventually. will find a way to have it yeah. work because, uh, yeah, it is very lucrative for the state. You may be waiting a while for your council-grown weed, but you can enjoy our intoxicating blend of news, political analysis, sport, and the latest form of democracy implosion right now for as little as a euro or a dollar a month. Yes, it's that moment when we say thank you to all our loyal patrons who keep this podcast running through thick and thin with their generous donations. All new patrons get a shout-out on the podcast and the chance to ask us a question. So this week, uh, we say welcome and thank you to one new supporter, all the way from New Zealand, uh, oh. Francois Barton. Hello, and thank you very much for your support, and stay tuned, because we've got some news uh, coming up from your part of the world. Oh? Yeah. I'm very curious what that is. Are they rejoining the old Zealand? <laughs> Perhaps, oh. yeah. No spoilers. It's also time uh, to bring you the exciting result of our um, competition to uh, win the coveted prize of the pencil Paul used to vote in the municipal elections last week. We had a grand total of seven people applying for this. Um, we weren't hmm. able to actually give it away at random because that would be organising a raffle, which is illegal. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we only found out after we recorded this and, 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 yeah. and released the podcast that we accidentally illegally set up, uh, what is it, a lottery. Um, the patron does have a kind of construction for, um, for, for giving away things as long as it's not a pure lottery. So we okay. only have one pencil and uh, we're giving it to uh, Jacob Spheres. Okay. who is uh, one of our longest-standing and most loyal patrons. So we're delighted to wrap that up with love uh, for you, Jacob, and post it all the way out to you in Ontario, in Canada, which I think is one of oh, the few God. places where President Zelensky hasn't done a live video link yet. So <laughs> exciting times. I don't think he can actually use this pencil uh, to vote, right, in, uh, in Canada. Maybe he can. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are in Canada, to be honest. Well, most countries just have c- uh, computers they use to vote, right? I yeah. think the Netherlands is one of the few countries that uh, haven't got that working. Uh, no. <laughs> so worried about being hacked. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is 
bullshit, but uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but we will send that, uh, that pencil to Ontario and uh, yeah, congratulations. So congratulations, uh, Jacob, and uh, look after it. It's a precious <laughs> artifact. And one day you'll be able to, your children will be able to sell it on whatever the equivalent of uh, eBay is in the <laughs> late 21st century. If we still have a democracy, which is doubtful. Yeah, if you haven't been invaded by the Belgians <laughs> in the meantime. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, log on to www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. So I thought this was going to be the first episode in two years that we wouldn't mention uh, coronavirus, but unfortunately we still have to mm. dive into this a little bit, don't we? Yeah, Unfortunately, there are still kind of aftershocks to the coronavirus pandemic, and they're particularly being felt in the, the museum, theatre and concert sector. According to a study by the Parole newspaper, visitor numbers are still well down on 2019 levels, even though the last restrictions were abolished two weeks ago. And venues that rely on foreign tourists and day-trippers are particularly hard hit. The Van Gogh Museum, which uh, relies heavily on uh, passing tourists, particularly from uh, Southern Asia, says it's only getting half as many visitors as it was before the pandemic, while the Rijksmuseum is down to 40%. Hmm. even though half of its visitors are actually Dutch. But I guess that's people coming in for the day from other parts yeah. of the Netherlands. The fear of contracting the virus is keeping some people away, uh, said a spokesman for the Concertgebouw, which is currently selling around 65% of its seats, whereas usually it would be reckoning on managing to fill 85%. But the unseasonably warm weather in March is also thought to be a factor. Well, good news for those venues is that it's now going to be start, start snowing this weekend, so maybe they'll get more people coming in the doors, because people are opting for a drink in a payment cafe rather than a trip to the museum. Hmm. And the rising cost of living has also forced people to make hard choices between going for a drink or a meal or going to the theatre. The theatre seems to be losing out to a mediocre food. So that's pretty damning <laughs> indictment, really, I think. People rather go out and have a, have a Heineken than uh, go and watch uh, a, a Rembrandt <laughs> painting. Yeah, I was thinking if only Peregrine Falcons and their ex would pay admission to the Rijksmuseum, they would, they would be out of trouble uh, by now. They would. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there was also a report this week into the uh, social divide on uh, on Corona, right? Yes, uh, it won't surprise people to learn that uh, poor people have a higher risk of death from COVID, but the size of the gap is uh, pretty startling. The statistics agency, CBS, analysed the 28,000 deaths in the first year of the pandemic and found that people in the lowest incomes were two and a half times more likely to die hmm. than the highest earners. People living in the major cities and those in institutional care were also more at risk. The CBS said that in the first wave of the virus, uh, that was from March 2020, the contrast was roughly the same as uh, for all causes of death in general, as pe people on lower incomes tend to have shorter lifespans. But during the second wave, the gap actually increased. People with Moroccan, Turkish and Surinamese backgrounds were also between 1.6 and 1.8 times more likely to die if they caught coronavirus, even when factors like income and whereabouts they lived were taken into account. Yeah, pretty devastating. And uh, yeah, this is just one of the... One of yeah. the many reports that we will see that uh, will have shocking uh, revelations and, uh, and, and shocking conclusions, I think. And uh, we, we better brace ourselves uh, for those. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, and obviously, at some point, there will be an inquiry into the pandemic as well, which I think will uh, bring a lot of this to light as yeah, well. Yeah, even though I do think that will mainly focus on the Syria deal and uh, the involvement of Hugo de Jonge, I think. Yeah. If that if that hasn't been uh, <laughs> resolved yet at, at that point, uh, I think that will be the main thing people, uh, MPs, will focus on uh, in that parliamentary inquiry. Mm. I hope they will, oh, they, they must summon the Syria for that, right? Yeah, he'll have to actually appear in Parliament and, uh, yeah explain himself yeah yet another watch party yeah. planned <laughs>
I can see this Ted taking up a coveted place in your shelf next to the uh, the CDR conference from <laughs> 2000 and when was it? 2010, 2010. When they did the uh, the deal with uh, with the with Jim Builders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was also thinking um, if at some point Vladimir Putin will stand trial at the International Court of Justice, that would also brighten my heart. I think warm my heart because uh, yeah, that yeah. would be an uh, excellent excellent thing to watch on television. That's superb. I would definitely be down there. Yeah. Dutch railway chief Marjan Rintel has been appointed as the new chief executive of KLM, replacing Peter Elmbers, who is leaving the company early. Rintel has been head of NS, the Dutch railway, since 2014, prior to which he also held a number of managerial and commercial positions at the Dutch flag carrier. She will take office on July 1st, 2022. Air France KLM has also decided to renew the appointment of Ben Smith as group CEO for a further five years. The decisions position a strong management team for the years ahead, given the extremely complex market, the group's board of directors said in a statement. The Financiële Dagblad says Rintel has a tough task ahead of her. Kalem had to be bailed out by the government because of the coronavirus crisis, and the aviation sector is also being confronted with increasing government regulations about sustainability, as well as increasing fuel prices, which is putting pressure on the revenue model. There is a sort of um, hate-love affair between KLM and Air France, right? They joined mm. uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I think one and a half decades ago, as this huge uh, airline carrier. But uh, yeah, KLM and Air France are still operating more or less independently from each other. Um, there is yeah. this huge fight between KLM and the uh, Air France KLM group for the past years about you know um, how independent mm-hmm. can the airlines be, especially the smaller one of the two, uh, which is uh, KLM. KLM. And um, Peter Elbers was a really outspoken voice in maintaining um, yeah, the, the more or less independence of KLM. He's now been sacked. And uh, the other bad guy, from Dutch point of view, the, the bad guy, the yeah. CEO of Air France KLM, is still uh, is another five years uh, he has the job. So yeah, it's... Um, Yeah, so um, things are not looking good for Royal Dutch Airlines, uh, which is, by the way, the oldest airlines in the world. Yeah, so the tensions are going to to continue. But for all that, uh, it's not all good news for KLM this week. uh, No, not at all. KLM lost a court case uh, against a $127 million fine by EU antitrust regulators. Uh, The airline and the Air France KLM group were fined for taking part in an air cargo cartel two decades ago. The airlines, as well as its subsidiary freight carrier Martin Air and others, including British Airway and uh, Air Canada, were originally fined by the European Commission in 2010 for fixing air freight services, fuel and security surcharges between 1999 and 2006. Eight of the cartel airlines appealed to the General Court of the European Union, but this was dismissed on Wednesday. The airlines now have two months to appeal against the decision to the European Court of Justice. Lufthansa and Swiss International Airlines were also complicit in the cartel, but they escaped a fine because they were the ones who brought the abuses to the EU's attention. Yeah, so they were the whistleblowers. Of their own actions, yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah that's, um, yes. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> funny how these things work. Yeah, it was easy enough just for every uh, major... European uh, airline and a couple of North American ones were, were in on this uh, price fixing. So this was huge. Yeah, it was a pretty big scandal. And uh, yeah, so the, the total fine originally was about eight hundred million so for yeah. all the airlines all put together. Yeah, yeah, insane, insane it's amount. Totally. And that uh, will probably ironically mean that KLM has to bail out again by the Dutch government, uh, perhaps if this yes. uh, fine really <laughs> is too high. But uh, yeah, it's. Um, 
I mean, yeah, if you don't want to get fined, just uh, stick to the rules, I guess. Yeah, don't organize a cartel. Sports news, finally. Having already qualified for the World Cup, the Netherlands played two friendly matches while other teams in Europe were contesting the playoffs. On Saturday, Oranje took on Denmark in Amsterdam. Steven Bergwijn scored the first and last goals in the 4-2 win. Memphis Depay bagged his 39th goal for Oranje from the penalty spot, but the biggest cheer of the night was for Ajax old boy Christian Eriksen. He came on at half-time, and it was his first international appearance since he suffered a cardiac arrest on the pitch against Finland at Euro 22 last June. He made an immediate impact uh, by lashing in a goal just two minutes after coming onto the field, and was the width of a post away from scoring a second and he was applauded by all the players and the managers of both teams when he came on, so quite an emotional moment there. Eriksen also uh, scored again on Wednesday night when he played his first home match in Copenhagen, which was, of course was the city where he, he had his uh, cardiac arrest, as Denmark beat Serbia 3-0. The Dutch, meanwhile, drew 1-0 with Germany, with Stefan Bergwijn on the mark again. He poked home an equaliser in the 68th minute after Thomas Müller had given the Germans the lead. And uh, all eyes are now fixed on the draw for the World Cup, right? Yes, the ridiculous World Cup, <laughs> as uh, Louis van Gaal uh, called it last week. Uh, on Friday, we'll learn who the Netherlands will face in Qatar when the draw is made in Doha. Uh, they're in pot two in this uh, Byzantine <laughs> uh, seeding system, which I won't even attempt to begin to explain. But it means they'll face one of the world's top nations or Qatar because they're, they're seeded as host nation. So they've got one in eight chance of being in a really easy group. <laughs> okay. uh, the teams they can't face in the first round, because they're also in pot two, include Germany and Denmark, the two teams I just played, and Croatia. Three qualifying places still haven't been filled. Costa Rica and New Zealand will play a playoff in June. Australia have got an even longer route round to the finals. They first have to take on the United Arab Emirates, and uh, then if they beat them, they have to play Peru. Okay. And there's one European spot up for grabs. That's because um, Ukraine uh, didn't play their qualifiers <laughs> last weekend. I don't know why. Maybe they had a coronavirus outbreak or something. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Anyway, they're busy with something else at the moment. So uh, at some point in the summer, they will play their playoff matches against Scotland. And if they beat Scotland, they will then face Wales for a place in the finals. And uh, I, I wouldn't like to be the team that, uh, that, that knocks Ukraine <laughs> out of the World Cup. Uh, that's not going to make you very popular with, um, with uh, the world, with, with the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. Except Russia. You can still go to Russia <laughs> yeah. then, I think. And the uh, Form for Democracy faction uh, chamber. Yeah. And in less yeah. uh, ridiculous news, the Dutch have lost at cricket, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Netherlands three-match one-day series in New Zealand. There's a New Zealand news for you. Got off to an inauspicious start. They lost by seven wickets at Bay Oval. They were five wickets down after just 13 of the 50 overs. All-rounder Michael Rippon managed to hit 67, but his visitors could still only set a very modest target of 202. And the New Zealanders reached it with 69 balls to spare, thanks mainly to a second-wicket partnership of 162 between Henry Nichols and Will Young. Is any of this making sense? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> I just don't know. I, I, no, not at all. But, <laughs> but please no, continue. No, I will it, just it, pretend that I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to try and watch a cricket match. No, I, time I will and, not uh, do that. <laughs> no, no, why would you? Just to see if you can, if it actually starts making any more sense. I doubt it will, actually. It'll probably get even more confusing. Um, anyway, Rippon claimed two of the three New Zealand wickets, but Logan van Bake had a bowling spell to forget. He was hit for three successive boundaries by Young. 
The Dutch will have to step up for the remaining two matches at Seddon Park in Hamilton on Saturday and Monday, but at least this tour is going better than their trip to South Africa in November. That was when their first match was rained off. And then, of course, they're in South Africa in November, which, of course, was where the Omicron variant started. So their next two matches were cancelled, and they flew home and probably imported the Netherlands, the virus to <laughs> the Netherlands as well. Okay, yeah. The, 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 the last lines I understood, but okay. I have to say that, that the, the World Cup draw <laughs> made more sense to me than this uh, ridiculous cricket uh, bit so uh, yeah that uh, just to put things in perspective <laughs> that's all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of dutch news which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl if you want to help us out please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and you can also now back us on patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and only suffer free shout out on the podcast and if you sponsor us um uh, this time next year you might even own yourself a pencil <laughs> as well my thanks to pal Peters. i'm gordon darach and we'll be back next week mm-hmm.